Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of quarantine. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hey. That's Char. Hey there. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-newsletter and you can just check out our brand spanking new website. You can also find us every Monday morning at bff.fm from 6 to 6.30. Boy, yo, 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 Really excited to have on the show a past guest, and I think we're calling her our little little big sis, right? Evelyn Obamos. <laughs> uh, we met her in 2018 um, when we actually met Ruby Ibarra too, um, and we met them as a part of Camfest. Actually, we met Evelyn when we did the red carpet at Camfest. Right. Um, it's all coming back to me now. And, um, which may have been a shock for her because we were wearing so much makeup that day. I wonder if she thought like this is how we normally look. And then the next time she saw, she was like, Oh, Ange is really, um, <laughs> tainted by that. I thought it was traumatic. It was traumatic by wearing red, by wearing red carpet makeup. <laughs> so, but we can just sorry. move on. <laughs> right. Anyway. So anyways, we're welcoming back Evelyn Obamos on the show. Um, talking about filmmaking, talking about the Philippines, talking about Ruby Ibarra and just catching up. So enjoy our interview with Evelyn and we'll see you on the other side. We have the lovely, the talented, um, the, what else, Ange? How else can we describe Evelyn? Our hero. Our shero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, little exactly. sis, Evelyn little, Obama. Little big sis. She schools yeah. us on things, man. That's we right. <laughs> <laughs> Evelyn Obama's on the show. We had her on, was that like two years ago? That's so sad. That was 2018. That was circulating. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes, you were on the circuit. Um, and <laughs> we, had, we had a blast at Pinterest. You were so nice to invite us in. Little did you know um, who we really are. But uh, we thought... <laughs> Shara and, and I left with full bags of snacks. That's right. <laughs> we, if only you had Tupperware. Yeah. Right? Next time. Damn. Don't encourage them, Emily. <laughs> um, I loved having you on the show. And the way we met was through CamFest. And um, you were working and still are working with Ruby Ibarra. And uh, we got to see the documentary and actually host the Q&A after the debut of um, the doc. Oh, I'm totally losing the name right now. Nothing on us. Nothing on us. No, nothing on rising. Us. Yes. And... Um, I feel like that moment for Ange and I um, changed us. Uh, the, well, the documentary and just, we didn't know anything about Ruby before that. And we we're really ashamed, <laughs> really ashamed. Mm -hmm. So um, it was so great meeting you then and really um, keeping the relationship, you know, through the last couple of years and just wanted to have you back on and, and see what's up since it's been two years. I can't believe it's been two years. I know. Mm -hmm. Every month in 2020 is a year. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, at least. So but much. Everything has changed, basically, since the last time we saw you. Everything. Yeah. Your <laughs> every life has changed. Every single thing. Yeah. yeah. So where to start? <laughs> so, so I know, I think that um, the last couple things I've seen, at least on um, social media with you and Ruby, did you end up going with her to the Philippines? And I, that was probably like five years ago, right? <laughs> five years in 2020 time frame yeah. yes yeah so we did and that actually was not a little over a year from from today so February of last year was when we went on a tour 
with a band and oh, mind God. you, all of the logistics for 10 people were not confirmed until two weeks before. And we were trying to, to fundraise for the flights. Not everyone, you know, is in a position to just book a quick round trip flight to the Philippines overnight. And we were really fortunate to have raised money through people donating to the cause. Ended up being there for about a week and they performed about a dozen shows within five days. Damn. And it was pretty demanding. We're also had, like, when we got there, obviously we had to acclimate to the time difference. But from the day we landed, it was nonstop with the team and it was in. It was incredible. And so that documentary, that project is still uh, under production. It's a bit on pause right now because of COVID, but um, we have some exciting news that I cannot share yet. And <laughs> it's related uh. to that. <laughs> but Well, we're excited title, anyways. The title so. <laughs> is 7,000 Miles in honor of Ruby's song, 7,000 mm -hmm. Miles Homecoming. So it's all Filipino-Americans who have this message about identity and belonging in a foreign country, but coming back home to the motherland. And does it, does that, does being there also feel like home or do we also feel foreign in that land? And what does it mean to blend these realities? Mm -hmm. It's pretty exciting. And, and so was this your first time back to the Philippines and how long, like how many times do you still have a lot of family out there and that you are in touch with or? Yeah, I have actually regularly visited the Philippines for the last three to four years. So I try to make it out there every year and flights have significantly reduced. Most of the flights I pay for are around like six to 800 round trip, which is pretty wow. incredible for an international country. And the last time I'd been there, I went backpacking with my best friend. And so it was pretty cool to kind of shift gears a little and not be in this like tourist family mode, but now in very like work oriented logistical planning. Oh man, there were so many things that went wrong on that trip, but all the people we were part of, uh, they were really, we all were really open-minded. So despite the logistical errors, we were all still very chill. <laughs> yeah. And were you, were you the lead videographer on that? I was the only videographer. Oh, so. <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure. Be everywhere, Evelyn. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. The wow. most memorable moment of that trip was probably when <laughs> we were supposed to, or Ruby and the band, the Balik Bayans, were supposed to have the, it was supposed to be a full concert, and it was, but we didn't actually have a venue up until like two days before. And I guess this is just the way Ruby works because this is how things <laughs> things just happen to fall in place despite <laughs> things not always being on the, in a timely way. And we ended up getting this location called Seguio, which is this super dope Alpinai or Alpinoy, like Filipino branded alcohol um, bar in in Makati, or was it Poblacion? It was one of those cities in uh, in the Philippines. And we ended up having an entire room, just no, no, even no space for a shoulder to shoulder to like be able to meander through the, through the halls. It was so sweaty. They had a two hour set and they're oh just my God. 
they're like at one point the people in the front row took out their pumai bikes, their fans, and were just fanning <laughs> the band from where they were sitting. See how hospitable Filipinos are? Even really. in the crowd, it's like, let's take care of our artists. I love it that. It was dope. And That's so cool. So, so powerful. And seeing the people there recite the lines while the live band was playing. Ooh, I'm getting goosebumps Evelyn, just remembering. Where the hell were you shooting from then if it was that packed? I yeah, was like, right? logistically shooting that. I'm, I'm already, I'm anxious about that. Sorry. You know, <laughs> To Angela's point about people being hospitable, everyone would like make way and it would be this human tunnel whenever I'd take my huge camera and I can send you photos if you want reference for this clip. But yes, I was honestly impressed at how we were all on our feet all day. They had, um, they even performed for Wish Bus, which is the, this huge um show in the Philippines where they bring artists into this bus and they perform like in the bus and they had just done a set oh, with I've, them I've seen footage yeah it's rad anyway sorry yeah yeah and those videos went viral and so it was so dope to be in the moment while we were driving all the way to the venue for the for the final concert in the Philippines their music was playing on the radio. And so oh. we were just going back to back and then like freaking out that their voices. And then I remember when Rocky's like sax solo for one of the songs came on the radio, he just like started crying. And we were just, mm. we were just in awe of how everything just happened to work out despite not having everything planned before the trip. So it's definitely uh, when you speak it to the universe, things, things fall into place. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It's all like, that's how we operate though, as a, I mean, not to generalize, but it's Filipino time. It's, you know, colored people time. It's just, we just hope for the best and show up. And it works out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love so, it. So to backtrack a little bit, was this a trip that it was pulled together in two weeks, but it was something that was pre-planned and was it a part of this larger filmmaking project? Good question. So the impetus behind the trip was, an event called Malasimbo. And Malasimbo is, the best way to describe it is it's the Coachella of the Philippines and it happens oh. on this remote island, Puerto Galera. And it's a two day festival where you basically camp out in that area because there's nothing else there. Uh, so we stayed in like this two story villa, it's basically like a bed and breakfast place, 10 of us. <laughs> in order to get to this island, you have to go by boat. and. Oh man, I remember being so stressed out because we didn't even know how we were supposed to get to the island because the coordinators of the event did not provide any details. And oh, there were 10 of us. <laughs> so thankfully I speak fluent Tagalog and we managed to like find transportation through just resources. It's uh, maybe Angela can relate to this part, but we call it like the Filipino mafia. And just, you just ask who you know. Yeah. Who you know oh, can yeah. give you the hookup. And so we managed to get two vans. Uh-oh. Uh Are you getting stressed out? Think about it. Sorry. PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> really? The, like, I laugh in retrospect because we were all very calm in the moment. And none of us were too freaked out about it. It was more like, oh, this seems normal. And now that I look back, I'm like, wow, we were really we were just going on a whim every day. Um, but Malasimba was just two day festival. Headliners were the likes of Robert Glasper and oh, yeah. 
and um, four of spades for this okay. huge Filipino, um, like very young band actually. And they're super edgy. And each night when those headliners were supposed to be like the last performer, there was always some weird logistical issue, but Ruby and the band ended up playing last every night. And oh, it was yeah. so powerful because we noticed that after Robert Glasper went up, which most people were probably at the event for, mm-hmm. people started dispersing. And we were like, crap, like the audience is gone. Like it shaved down to about 15% of who was still there. And then they started playing. And we just saw people start coming back as if they heard it from a mile away and just were like, yo, this is dope music. And by the end of their first night, when, oh, even that night we had logistical issues with the tech, with the audio, <laughs> my God. Um, Boy, I'm, I'm glad you but, guys made it though. <laughs> but people came back, people came back. And then at the end of the night, I can't, I'll never forget this clip, but people were chanting and they were just like, Balik Bayan. Oh, Balik Bayan. And then it happened both nights and the people who heard them the first night were like, yo, stick around because they're going to do a full set the second night. And they did. And it was amazing. Like I have so much really amazing footage. So can't wait to, to share that. <laughs> That's our, so, oh, yeah. Skills. That's so cool. So you're, I mean, you were going there to shoot all of that, but then that two day festival turned into you guys being there for a week because it's like, we're making the trek. Wow, you're actually jogging so many memories right now. And <laughs> Please tell me more. <laughs> among, among some of the memorable moments, too, was, I don't know if you folks have heard of Maria Ressa, but she was named um, yes. Magazine's Person of the Year in oh, yeah. we yeah. covered yeah. the We covered the documentary on her at Sundance this yeah. year. Oh, yeah. Sweet. We were so a thousand in- cuts. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Coincidentally, when we managed to get a gig, well, we, we being the band, when the gig locked in for Rappler, so Rappler is yep. what we would equivalent, we, we would oh. equate to like the NPR of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. They were hosting basically their Tiny Desk series. And Ruby was able to get invited the day before she ended up performing there. This was right after the two-day festival. So we're so tired. By the time we get back to Manila, that was the next performance we had lined up. Um, oh, sorry, no. It was after the all-night concert. So we didn't even go to bed till like four in the morning. And then we had that show at nine in the morning the next day. Oof. <laughs> Oof. And, and it's Rappler. Flying. Like, you had to go. It's Rappler. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's Rappler. Uh, and so we could not miss that. But you'll see in the video, they still have it on their website. We, like, the whole band looks so tired. And... <laughs> They did not have like any like wardrobe coordination whatsoever because we were all going <laughs> to head to the airport right after. <laughs> Rocky, I remember his shirt. He had this like otter shirt that was ripped in one part. And we were just like, bro, you're wearing a, a t-shirt with a hole in it for a grappler. <laughs> it's edgy though. It's edgy, Evelyn. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, right. Like ripping your clothes is kind of cool now, huh? Yeah, that it's like, super rad. That's the American fashion. Now right. everybody's got like <laughs> that Regina with George whole shirt. Yeah, just fat. It's <laughs> exactly. fashion. Yeah. So 
Okay, so, so back to what happened at Rappler. We had just, um, we had just heard about Rappler and did some research on it. And then we're like on the way there, we were talking about Maria Ressa, coincidentally, and we're just like, yo, like, did you know she was in jail or she's still in jail? And we're just like, she is so badass. Like she's this like four foot 11, like super petite <laughs> Panay, who is literally who the president is afraid of. And that she's is a fierce. huge, huge statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I'm shooting, I'm very locked into the song and I'm like about to cry because it's the, the song where Ruby talks about her mom and making it in America and I'm and I'm like literally tearing up and then in the corner of my eye like in my peripherals was Maria Ressa <sighs> and I was tripping out because I was like aren't you supposed to be in jail like can't hold her down sure <laughs> you, can't. you can't and at that time I think she was telling us there was also a travel ban on her head. So it's like anytime she was to travel to the US, she had to pay $10,000 in order to like go anywhere. It was insane. And so we met her, got to hang out with Ramona Diaz. They watched our Us music video while we were filming. And it was so powerful. I'll never forget this, this photo of it's Ramona. Maria, Ruby, and me, and it was kind of like parallel universes of like a Panay telling the story of another Panay and like just different generations and different types of stories we were telling. And Maria Ressa, she had one of the most powerful lines and quotes that she said to Ruby, and it was, I'm a journalist and I reach people through my words. You are a musician, you reach the masses through your music. And I'll never forget because that was the moment Ruby and I were like, yeah, we need to continue what we're doing. We need to continue what we've been building because this is how people, this is how we reach people. Um, and I think what she was saying between the lines is like journalism, while it is effective, it only targets a certain demographic of people who are probably, you know, within a certain academic, you know, uh, expertise etc um but when it comes to music it's literally it's accessible to anybody very powerful we oh yeah we're gonna meet her we almost met her at sundance um, but she she couldn't she couldn't make it to our interview but ramona is incredible and and obviously we got the chance to see ruby again and and talk to her but like i love that how this project i mean who who the thunk that like you meeting Ruby by chance and sneaking in, who riding into the back room at her concert and being like, yo, I'm a fan. Who knew that that would turn into this? And now you have Maria Ressa telling you that your art is bigger than you and mm. you're doing way more important than just following a passion of yours. Like, that's crazy. I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so the momentum. Cool, Ev. Yeah. Wow. Um, I know. <laughs> no, that's so cool. It just makes us, I mean, I'm speaking for all of us, feel so proud mm. that this is happening. It's what we need. We need to it's hear like these happy line. stories. We need to hear these happy stories right now and, and mm. positivity and, and people making moves. So I know that. you can't, you can't talk about it, but <laughs> what can you talk about about the project? Like, so you filmed, you had all that footage. I mean, it's right, like five days of footage and all of these <laughs> things happened. Um, 
when you went there, you know, did you have like your, your, um, your uh, sheet of like your shots you're going to get and the story that it was going to be, or was it like, I'm going, we're going to get all this footage and then we're going to put it together. Like how, how has all of this kind of come together for you guys? Because it feels like a, a part two really to the doc, the documentary that we saw. Yeah. Really great question. The way we framed how we wanted to tell this story was the initial idea was to do it episodic. So we mm. wanted to tell it from a narrative of pre like preparation and what it meant to be a band that hadn't existed for more than six months together and deciding together that they were going to go across the water <laughs> to their motherland. And there's like a story around that. And then the chunk of the story was probably going to be around this definition of being Filipino American and what that means for each of the individual band members. Mm. And there are many Filipino American bands that exist, but there's something really unique about the Balik Bayans where their message is also very rooted in their identity. And through that, through, through Ruby's album, Circa 91, and they were kind of just put together like a ragtag team of people for, for her anniversary concert. But that anniversary concert just kind of dictated how incredibly well they work together. And we wanted to tell that narrative of how we were able to take even traditional Filipino instruments and wove that into this hip hop base. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautiful because we couldn't actually bring that, those equipment, uh, the musical equipment to, to the Philippines because it's so delicate. And while we were there, we ended up working with a bunch of people to find traditional Filipino equipment, like in the Philippines. And so we wanted to tell those stories in the, in the chunk of the second episode. And then the last episode was probably going to be around like a reflection, how <laughs> the, I guess we would call it like a postmortem for, for the third episode. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was all over the place. Yeah. But, uh, um, the only thing I can't tell you is like when we hope to release it and, and through which channel, but mm -hmm. there have been people that know about the project that want to screen it already, which cool. is always exciting. Um, mm -hmm. But then adds pressure on me as a filmmaker. Cause I'm like, crap, we can't even like meet up to film right now. But uh, I have, you're right. I have lots of footage to parse through and it was kind of just done guerrilla style where mm -hmm. I, shoot as much as I can and if there was a moment that I couldn't capture I'll have someone reenact it um it was it was such a powerful trip and I've been to the Philippines many times but this one was definitely probably the best trip I've been on well yeah, I'm no I shit. can't wait and I, I'm already offering Angie's assistance in this <laughs> she's she's still She's uh, going back through Thanks. our our documentary and parsing through our you know three years of footage that we have, and reorganizing um, our documentary. But it's true. We but we also don't have the luxury of sitting together in a room and going through all this stuff. So it's like it's a pandemic. It is. It's a pandemic filmmaking. But also, you have all this time, right? So, and that's well, what. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing to feel bad about because we're all going through it. Everybody's right. in the boat. So it's like, well, you know, do what we can with what we have in the moment, mm. you know? I was talking to a colleague who is also a filmmaker, 
and he had a documentary that was supposed to screen at Sundance. And apparently because a lot of this shift from in-person to virtual, it's really affected a lot of the filmmaking industry in a way that most film festivals are telling filmmakers, just submit your content to next year's. And so it's kind of stressful because one, I think this is the livelihood of many filmmakers is to be able to run through that film circuit and yep. generate momentum around their films and then mm -hmm. hopefully get it streamed somewhere. And that's what, exactly what he was going through. <laughs> and it's kind of stressful because now what would have been an incredible 2020, going to Copenhagen, going to France, going to Toronto, going to, I think he even was supposed to go to like Australia for one of the festivals. It's all been paused. And, and I think a lot of us did look forward to 2020 being, I, I even have it here. It's supposed to be my crucible year. <laughs> <laughs> But I still think it's aptly named because crucible means adding all the pressure before something gets into its final production. But I just did not expect it to be at uh, this level of heat, I yeah. guess, if you will. Yeah, thanks a lot, Evelyn. You manifested this. <laughs> I, I so it's your fault. It's <laughs> the pressure cooker. I, I expected this. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So are you still working also for Pinterest in the meantime? in the midst of yes. everything you are yes. okay and i'm so so grateful honestly we all have seen the statistics around unemployment rates and it's pretty dark because we all probably know someone that's been affected by that tangentially mm -hmm. directly or a friend of a friend of a friend and it's been what's kept me stable, honestly. And I hit five years in January of being at the same company. Wow. So I'm so grateful. I also recently shifted positions. So I've been working as an international program manager for the last five years, but have now joined forces with our creator team. So building products to help people publish inspiring content and it's actually been quite the challenge. So I'm not gonna lie, the first couple months of quarantine have actually impacted my team a lot. Mm -hmm. Much like everything getting canceled, <clears throat> a lot of our roadmap was centered around visiting creator conferences and meeting them in person. Mm -hmm. And now we're having to shift everything into a virtual setup. So that's been a challenge and I'm, I'm okay with it because I think it, it forces us to be scrappy, which we are and resourceful, which we are, but I think we're all feeling that, um, that deprivation of, of social, social engagement right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Especially at, at, at Pinterest at a work environment like that, like, and now you have to buy your own groceries, make your own lunches. <laughs> I, feel I feel for you. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. Um, <laughs> I remember people being like, wait, so I have to buy food now? <laughs> like, oh, no, that was that was real? I think for some people it might have been, but I'm grateful for it. I've been cooking so much, so many inspiring recipes on Pinterest right now. And yeah, this, this afternoon I made carbonara, which was oh, I pretty love... good. Oh, yes. I didn't realize how easy it is. Peas or no peas? No peas on mine, but I do hear the okay. Italian version, like authentic Italian carbonara has peas. 
You could say I've had a couple of carbonaras in my life. <laughs> oh, and I've been using my air fryer. Oh, you I have? Love, I'm like obsessed with my air fryer right now. My mom Aren't sent they? it to me for my birthday last year. So I've taken oh. advantage of it. Well, I'm glad that you brought up your mom because you have these like uh, <laughs> moments with mom videos and you guys are so freaking cute. I love her. And uh, most recently you shared one about you living in a container, a storage container, shipping container. And yeah. I, I would love for you to elaborate. Wait, <laughs> it's what? so cute. Okay. So before see. tiny living and minimalism was cool, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. my family, and I don't know if I mentioned this in our last call, but mm -mm. I did grow up pretty poor and I often brag about having braces now as an adult because it's my badge of financial progress and acknowledging that I have dental insurance and I can afford it myself. And so there have been stories I've been wanting to unpack with my mom, including how she met my dad on Guam, what it was like to marry into citizenship, what it was like to go from being an attorney to having to start completely from the bottom when she moved to the US and did every job from like caregiving to service work to getting her master's degree in teaching, everything. And the most recent topic we covered was growing up in a shipping container. So it's it's nice to talk about now, but growing up in the moment was not fun. Like as as you know, as lighthearted as I am about it right now, like it was really tough. And something I didn't mention in that video was I used to keep a bucket by my bed because the ceiling of the container was so rusted that when it rained and Guam is a tropical island, so it rained often and there was typhoon season every summer, we would just have a bucket ready by the side of our bed for any leaks. <laughs> and I got really good at like knowing when it was going to rain so I could get the buckets ready. On top of that, we were also, we lived right next to a jungle. And so this is just normal for an island, but literally our backyard was a huge forest and we would often get visitors, including snakes, oh. which Ooh. Guam is known for. <laughs> so... Oh. I think this is also what kind of built a lot of my character early on is I am not afraid of bugs. I'm not afraid of like wiggly things because I had to deal with so many like crazy shit growing up and like mm -hmm. among them being rats, flying cockroaches, no, thank you. and snakes. Oh. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's <laughs> a lot. But my mom, as you can see in the video, she was, she was so excited about it. She was like, yeah, we, we bought a shipping container as our first home. Mm. And then I was like, wait, why? And she's like, because that's all we can afford. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, well, how did you make it into a house? And she's like, well, I was, your dad was the carpenter and I was the assistant carpenter. And she just, you know, just is so optimistic about it and mm -hmm. never saw it as a problem. Mm -hmm. But being in that container, like I was so embarrassed. I would never have my friends drop me off at my house. I'd had them drop me off kind of at the beginning of our village area and then I'd walk um, or they dropped me off at my mom's office. So it was an interesting upbringing, but definitely, definitely character building. <laughs> right. I was going to say, Ange has asked this question a lot mm. from um, our recent guests. 
uh, just about, you know, when did, when did you realize you were poor? And, and, you know, when did you realize, when did you realize that you were poor and didn't have what other people had? Mm. So I don't know if you want to go into that a little bit, but I think it is character building if you can recognize that and, and understand it. You know, it's almost like my family was living a dual reality because while we were living in a shipping container, my sister and I were actually lightweight, like child celebrities on Guam. We used to host our own radio show. Of course you were. What did you just say? You just, you hosted a radio show? (laughs) Yeah. So me and my sister at the age of seven and eight. um, I'm going to get more wine. Why did it take this this long for this to come out? Anyway, carry on. I know. This is serious, but I mean, of course you were. Okay. Yep. And I don't know if you've heard of John Robert Powers, but they're a pretty global modeling agency. and. When my mom was trying to figure out what jobs to pursue, her best friend that was helping her through those times was the the head coach of of JRP. So Belta Perez is a huge role model for my sister and myself. And she knew everything about my mom's journey and was like, you have two very talented daughters. Let me take them under my wing. So we basically trained through John Robert Powers all through elementary school. We competed in pageants in New York and represented Guam. What? What? (laughs) At eight years old. I have photos of all these things too. Is this when your band started? You started performing like singing together too or is that later? I don't want to. That was high school. Okay, we'll get to that. In Hawaii. (laughs) Okay. Guam, Guam was fun because it being such a small island, we just had all these really random connections and the local like PBS station, KUAM, would host us. And they would just have us perform for every single like pledge drive, for every Christmas special, for every promotion. Um, at the age of eight and nine, my sister's a year older, we were awarded the Magalahi Award, which is the, I guess it's one of the highest awards you can get on Guam. It's the Governor's Award. And we were in the category um, like youth in the fine arts or something, but I think we were just so young and naive. We didn't, we didn't understand how big of a deal that was. And we'd get invited to like the governor's mansion and we'd go to all these like fancy political events. My mom's, my mom ended up starting her own business on Guam and we would just have like the congressman come to her holiday parties. It was really interesting because we had this really cool life, but then we'd come home to this kind of very humble, modest reality. So (laughs) fun times. Wow. But did you did you know the duality at the time? Like what or was it just that was your life and that Maybe this isn't the best term for it, but there's a huge like indigenous like or not indigenous psychology, but there's a there's a term in Filipino culture called hiat and it translates to shame. And I think for sure we were aware of shame mm-hmm. and what we what we don't talk about outside our family because this is ours to protect and it's our face we have to save and that was where we lived and i think it was so easy to be in the light in so many other dimensions of our family that even at church actually so we were very very religious and so we would go to church and we were like this utopian like family like and it was so annoying because as soon as we got to the church we were fighting in the car but as soon as those doors closed and we're entering the church we have to be like perfect and i think that expectation definitely impacted me a lot because i i then internalized 
hide what is wrong in your life and hide what isn't pretty and try to make everyone see like this facade of your of your life and it felt very inauthentic which i can talk about now but mm-hmm. but you're right in the in the moment it was a little interesting to navigate because you were i felt like i was always hiding something for sure it's like Hannah Montana. <laughs> you're 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 basically preaching to Erin what she has to deal with between me and Shar every every damn I, day. I mean, every damn like, day under the bus too. But like that's how we're raised. It's just to oh emotions <clears throat> in your pocket. You just hide that. You just put that away. You just smile. You don't tell anyone anything. You just act like everything's great. Mm. And it's a, it takes a lifetime to deal with that and how to shift that once it's part of your core. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, sorry, Erin. <laughs> no, I'm like, please keep talking about that. No, no, <laughs> this, but... all, this all came out too when we were at Sundance, when mm. we were talking to, um, not Maria, was it Maria we were talking oh, Ramona. with? Ramona. No, 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 Ramona. 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 Ramona, the yeah, director but, of the film. Yeah. And she when was we were, saying that yeah. we don't like to, uh, the Filipinos don't like to say no. And so they like, in text, they love text messages because they just don't have to answer. Because that yes. means they don't have to say. And they, they don't <laughs> have to like, say no. <laughs> yeah, Aaron looked at us and we're like, I, was like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we're not trying to fight right now. We're trying to keep it positive. <laughs> but, but it is. It's ingrained. And, and you know, for, for outsiders that don't know us well, it's like, oh, they're so lovely and happy all the time and whatever. But for people that get close within that circle, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to have to work with this. Mm-hmm. This isn't how you communicate. This isn't how you are a human, you know? Exactly. But, the sh- but the shame and the culture thing, that's that's a lot of Asian cultures. So, no, it's, I understand that. Yeah, that's that's real. That was the first part of our two-part interview chat, really catch up with Evelyn Obamos. Um, we're excited that this is turning into a two-parter because it basically turns into the dating game. <laughs> Poor Evelyn didn't know. Yeah, get ready for a complete 180 in, a, in our next episode, <laughs> but it was it is equally as entertaining. It, like, and... it took a complete turn to the point where her mic changed because she had to pull her headphones off. And... Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we had a good time with Evelyn, and every time she comes on or any time we see her, we just have the biggest smile on our face, and we hope you do too. So thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. Uh, we can sign up for our brand spanking new email newsletter, which comes out monthly. We don't spam you, so sign up. You can also check out our YouTube channel for short behind-the-scenes footage. Don't forget to subscribe. It's also brand spanking new. <laughs> You can find us every Monday morning at BFF.fm from 6 to 6.30. Boy, we were powered by GoTo Productions. Bitch, please.